This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, happy Monday, Stackers. And on behalf of the entire Stacky Benjamins family and our friends at Navy Federal Credit Union, want to give a special salute and shout out to our friends in the military, OG, keeping us safe. I had another great weekend of fun while a bunch of people were taking care of business and working the weekend for me. Don't you have to use military terms and say that you had a 48-hour libo? <laughs> I, I, I did, yes. I, I prob- probably should have. But I just went to military college. You were in there. So thank you so much to our armed forces. Let's get the week rolling. Let's go stack some Benjamins. Hello there. Peabody here. And this is the Wayback Machine. We're traveling through time. And this is my boy, Sherman. Speak, Sherman. Hello. Good boy. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we all like a comeback story, right? The phoenix rising from the ashes, the the hero who comes back home, the car that rises from the dead. Yeah, probably went too far there. Anyway, we love it. Today, we'll learn about comebacks and resilience from one of the top real estate agents in L.A., Harma Hartuni. Hmm, L.A. wouldn't be so bad. Plus, fees on one popular investment are dropping again. We'll share the what and where of that story in our headline segment. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to one of our friends who's been watching TikTok videos by a cash value life insurance expert. What's that about? And I'll be sure to bring things home with my fantastic trivia. And now, two guys who are the last things I think of when I think Hollywood, but that won't stop us from trying. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. I don't know, man. You put a pair of those aviators on OG. Looks pretty fly. I'm pretty Hollywood. Is that what the kids say? Look pretty fly. For a white guy. Like back in, back in 1992. Wasn't that the uh, Offspring. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to 90s music. Music for the win podcast. I'm Joe Salci. I average Joe money on Twitter. Didn't you like Offspring? 
I think that they forgot they existed. They're like, oh, we were a thing once? I was watching this thing on YouTube. It's uh, two celebrities who talk trash to one another, and it was uh, Josh Brolin and Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. And Josh Brolin's like, so talk to us about Green Lantern. <laughs> like, it was just, like, they just go back and forth. And that was his, like, little put down or whatever. <laughs> That's fantastic. Like, we Ryan should do, like, I didn't see it. We should do that one whole episode. But we got busy stuff to do today, OG. We got Harma Hartuni, one of the top real estate agents in LA, coming down to the basement. He's not going to talk real estate a lot. He's going to talk about getting back up, about being resilient. And what do we need on Monday? There's a little resilience in our life. But of course, we got our TikTok feature. It's time to roll on a Monday. So let's get the headlines moving. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Our first headline comes to us via Bloomberg. BlackRock cuts fees on $7.6 billion style ETFs to near zero. OG, oh, the march to the bottom on fees continues. Pretty easy when you get $7.8 billion. Just to, to drop it uh, a tenth or two. BlackRock Inc.'s revamped $7.6 million lineup of style ETFs will feature new benchmarks, different tickers, and a perk, rock bottom fees. World's biggest exchange traded fund issuers cutting the expense ratios on nine iShare Morningstar U.S. equity style box ETFs to a range of 0.03 to 0.06. That's down from previous charges that vary between 0.25 and 0.30. It's funny, OG, on one end, we've got- That'll new definitely pro- get people to invest now. <laughs> Whoa, you took it from 0.3 to 0.06? Oh, now I'm going to save $100. Now I can do it. Now I can. Now my retirement is saved. Whew. Thankfully, somebody did it for me. Thank goodness. My $50 a month bank authorization into uh, BlackRock Global Equity is going to finally pay off. And if you're new to the show, with OG saying that, he's not saying that- there's anything wrong with saving 50 bucks. It's that you got to save 50 bucks first before you enjoy some cough savings. Did I say cough savings? I think <laughs> it's a whole different, whole different thing. Cough savings is what you get when you have a COVID vaccine. No you more, no more cough. cough. Yeah. 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 You got to save first. I mean, it's great. This is good for investors. I'm not mad that the internal costs are a little bit less expensive. But this isn't done due to benevolency. It's not like the folks at BlackRock and their big ivory tower went, you know what we should do? We have enough money. We should probably give some back to the people. That's what we'll do. This is a calculated thing to figure out a way to get new money. This is for them to make more money. That's their goal. Their goal is profit. Their goal is to make money for their shareholders and uh, an ownership structure. And so it happens that this is beneficial for you to some degree, but it's, it, it, it's it still doesn't solve the problem. It, it yeah, does not. Yeah. It still doesn't solve the problem. You know, if you're saving 2% in your 401k and BlackRock saved you 0.2 cents a year on, on your costs, you know, you're still not retiring. So it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but you know what I mean? Funny you mention that this is competitive BlackRock, this piece says, has been locked in a contest with runner-up Vanguard Group for flows with the latter, Vanguard, last year winning for the first time since 2013. Meanwhile, there's a whole different battle going on, OG, which is issuers such as Kathy Wood's 
uh, Red Hot ARK Investment Management jumping up on the leaderboard as investors swarmed to theme-friendly funds. You saw Dave Portnoy getting in that with the new Buzz Index. Mm -hmm. Same type of product we really liked a lot. But it's funny, you've got this active battle going on on one side and then a race to the bottom when it comes to the commodities. And you're staring at me across the table going, don't you have anything to add? And I'm thinking about this going, I can't even process the dichotomy. Like the same person who's like, but the fees are 0.6% lower. Woo. Is the same person that just put 20 grand into the ARC fund. Right. And you're like, wait, what? Oh, give me some, Ka- you- give me some Kathy Wood. I thought that, I thought, I thought we all had to have no, f- no fees. Oh, it's not about, oh, it's not about that. Oh, okay. I don't, I can't keep track of what, what we're supposed to be in excited about I performance use Rob- or not. I use Robinhood for free trades, but then uh, we'll try not to look at the expense ratio, the buzz index. Yeah. Use I- Robinhood and uh, get terrible price execution, but it's free. Hey, and, and I put 30 grand into uh, the arc fund at the peak at whatever the hell she's charging, but who cares? It's Kathy Wood. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All of a sudden it goes from it matters to it completely doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. The only Here's the only thing that really does matter. The only thing that matters, you're listening to all this stuff and you're going, okay, so do, do, do I, am I supposed to care about this or not? You can care about it. But the only thing that matters in your financial plan is whether or not you're actually saving enough money or you're going to take enough out or take too little out or, you know, I mean, invest 20% of your income and you're probably going to be in the ballpark of being okay. You will not be able to be okay if you're investing 5% of your income and hoping that BlackRock cuts their fees to point whatever so that it's a little less expensive for you. It's a nice added benefit, but it's not going to add up to that much. So you got to do you. In news of what you should care about, OG, it's time for our TikTok minute where OG and I dive into the fun world of TikTok to find Great financial advice. And here is today's TikTok video of the minute. This is this is the way you make money, OG. Okay, real talk, you guys. Making 100K a year is not that hard. All you have to do is make $274 a day. How can you do that? So what I did was I learned how to trade the stock market. I learned how to trade the Forex market. I learned how to trade the crypto market. I learned how to trade binary options. I learned how to do marketing. And I have an automated service that literally trades most of those for me. So that's how I make 100K plus a year just from home. That's it. That's all you got to do. You got to learn how to just trade binary options, the Forex, uh, crypto, uh, run a marketing company, trade stocks. And you automated it all. Yeah. And you're and, and you, you offshore to somebody else to do all the work. It's all yeah. you get. It's all you got to, you, you know what I do like about this video? I like the There's fact music at the end. It was pretty, pretty <laughs> I, open, like, I thought I do like the music at the end. I like the fact that she broke it down to $274 a day. Cause I think we hear a hundred thousand dollars a year and we go, yeah, I can't do that. But you start hearing numbers like $274 a day and you go, yeah, maybe not today, but I think I can get there. And breaking down those big goals into these little milestones, these little chunks, makes these incredible sounding goals come to life. And the first thing that I thought of when I heard that was, she's counting all the days. The market's not open all the days. It's only open 270 trading days. So it's actually $370 a day. She's way off. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it doesn't matter, though. It's automated. It's It's automated. Yeah, it's automated. So even if the market's closed, she's still making money. She's still making money, just printing dollars. Yes. It's like a a little machine in her basement. 
you're right. You know, we we obviously jab on this stuff, trading uh, forex futures and and uh, binary options. Bonus points if she actually even knows what binary options are. Maybe she does. I don't know. I don't even think that I know. Do you know what binary options are? I mean, I can dissect the words and figure it out. I guess it's. It sounds like aren't all options binary? Sounds like two options. <laughs> aren't all options binary? Bonus points if you know what binary options are. I don't. All options are binary. They're either worth zero or a lot. That's 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 the uh, <laughs> that's the outcome. But um, I'm with you. I like the breaking it down by day thing. It makes it more palatable. I don't agree with any of that stuff in there, but you can replace all of those things with, and I have this side hustle and I work this job and then I uh, do this on Fiverr and, you know, dot, 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 dot. And if you did those things, you know, you might, like you said, you might not be at $280 a day or $270 a day, but, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that along the way certainly does have a, have a big impact. Probably stay away from the binary calls. I don't <laughs> the know. The 4X, the Forex. I'm just going to go trade currencies. That'll make you either rich or poor in a hurry right there. It it will never make you rich. Good point. It'll make somebody rich, but probably not yeah, you. Exactly. In our second headline, I saw this on Yahoo Finance and I thought we'd get your take on it, OG. Our friend Larry Swedrow. We need to have Larry back on the show. What a nice never guy. Never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, no, no idea. Larry uh, was on Yahoo Finance talking about top mistakes people make when they're thinking about their retirement. And uh, let's pick up this interview they're doing with him and get your take on this. Three mistakes, top three mistakes that people make when it comes to planning for retirement. Well, one is a problem we're faced with today, which is that the people look at the historical evidence on returns and stocks have gotten 10% and bonds, let's call it roughly six. So, a typical 60-40 portfolio, it earned about eight and a half. And in the last 38 years, it earned over 10%. Well, today you simply can't get there because stock PE ratios are twice uh, roughly what they were. The What's called the cyclically adjusted Cape 10 is, is now 35 or 36. Historically, it's been about half of that. Uh, and yields on bonds are close to zero. Uh, so we think that's a real problem for people is overestimating the expected returns they're likely to get. And then the second related problem is they tend to ignore sequence risk, which is even if stocks get, say, 8 or 10 percent a year, if you get hit with a 2008 or 2000 or 2002 where markets just crash in the first year or two, and you think you can withdraw, say, 4 or 5% a year safely adjusted for inflation, that could blow up in your face because the losses happen and you're withdrawing from a portfolio and you can't recover. I would say those are probably the, the two uh, biggest uh, mistakes that people make. He, she asked for three. He stops at two. He actually later on, OG, goes into things like the fact that we're living a lot longer, the risk of a long-term care stay. Those are two big ones. We'll also link to the video in our show notes page. But Larry's a pretty smart guy, and he starts off worried about stock prices and bond prices right now, OG, saying that if you're using these high rates of return in your financial plan, it's going to be really difficult to make that happen. 
Well, I certainly am not as uh, nearly as intelligent as uh, as he is, as far as he knows. But um, <laughs> you caught that good. But here's the thing with rates of return. I don't think that you can say, "Hey, there's going to be this big, you know, shift one way or the other," because you may be right or you may not be right. Who knows, right? There's no evidence of persistence of performance. There's no ability to suggest, hey, these things did well today, so that means they're going to do well tomorrow. You know, none of that really exists. So he'll either be right or the market returns will be the same average returns that they've always been. The biggest issue, I think, maybe what he means by this, and so like I said, maybe putting words in his mouth here, but it's the difference between the average investment and the average investor returns. And you say, well, if the average investor, doesn't the average investor have the average investment wouldn't the average investor get the average investment return? And the answer is they don't. And it's because of really poor decision-making along the way. There's a a research company called Dalbar who every year comes out with their quantitative analysis of investor behavior. And what they do is they look at all of the inflows and outflows of investments, mutual funds, ETFs, whatever, and assign dollar weightings to those and go, here's all the money came in and here's when all the money went out and here's when the money came back in, here's the money went out. And then, you know, they kind of track the dollars, so to speak. And over the last 20 years, it's very, very static. It moves maybe a tenth of a point every year. The average investor in the average investment got 3.5%. And you go, well, wait a second. Larry just said that the average stock investment did 10. The average bond investment did 6. I should get 8.5. And that's true if you bought at the beginning of the period and held the entire time. But the average investor doesn't do that. The average investor buys throughout the period of time, and then looks at their 401k statement at the end of the year and goes, wait a second, why in the heck do I have this? This thing did crappy. Well, I'm going to find the thing that did good. And then they click on the link and prove me wrong on this. Everybody, I've done this inside, this unscientific question to, to lots of people. When you're searching in your 401k for which investments to pick, what is your default search criteria? The stuff so you, that's so doing good now. Yeah, you're sitting you're sitting on the Fidelity website or wherever your 401k is, right? And and you got this list of choices and, and it's searchable. Most people do not search it alphabetically. <laughs> so there's like all these different columns, right? Alphabetically. No, not, that doesn't help me. Maybe by asset class, but probably not. More likely, I click the thing that says one-year return. And then maybe if I'm really sporty, I click the five-year return tab to sort by the five-year returns. Maybe the 10-year return numbers, too, to see if those the same ones are near the top, and then I'm going to pick those. But what are we doing when we do that, especially if we look at the one-year? We're looking at what did, what, what did well last time? We're buying high. And then it, de facto, what are we doing? We're selling low. So we're doing the exact opposite. So I agree with them in some context of this assumed rates of return. You know, when you're putting in your calculator, you know, uh, saying, well, I think I can get 8.5% a year. I think that's overzealous, not because the markets aren't going to return that because we don't have any way to predict that, but more because the average investor screws it up. Now, if you're the person that can really just set it and forget it, you know, that's not going to apply to you on the first one, but um, behavior strong. And Larry's a smart guy, as, as you and I both have mentioned. He uses some numbers to talk about how high he thinks the market is, and yet We see lots of evidence from other economists, other very smart people. In fact, there are some people at a mutual fund dimensional I know that you chat with quite a bit. These are Nobel Prize winning people. They don't think that's necessarily the case, OG. So betting on the market's high, the market's low, 
I don't think it's as good a strategy as just in your financial plan, use low returns and count on yourself. This is the way that we explain it to clients. You can have a financial plan assumption and you can have an expectation. And I think from a planning standpoint, you want to be a little bit more conservative on your rates of return because it's going to force you to do what? Save more force money. You to save a little bit more. It's going to force you to be a little bit more conservative in your timing. You know, maybe you can't retire when you're 52. You have to work till 55. Aw, shucks. What are you going to do for 50 years anyway? You're going to be live, live to be 110. So you, know, you got a long time. So you can be conservative in your planning assumptions, but you can have high and high return expectations based on what's going on and based on your asset class. The other major issue that happens on the asset class side of things or investment return uh, side of things is people are just too darn conservative. It just is what it is. Interest rates are low, which actually turned out pretty good for fixed income investors in the last year. But, you know, are they going to go lower than zero? I, I mean, it could. It's happened in other countries. I mean, the 10 year is like, what, 0.8 or something. So if I'm going to bet over the next 50 years of my life, our interest rates going to be lower than this or higher than this when they're approaching zero already, I think you have to say they're either flat or higher. And if that's the case, what's the impact to bond prices, fixed income prices? It's not good. And, um, you know, why would I want to own those? On top of that, Larry said it, the average return of stocks is 10. The average return of bonds is six. Why would you, you know... Why would you have the sixth thing when you can have the 10 thing? So I think people are too conservative way too early, and that has an impact on, on long-term returns also. Well, but you, you bring know? up his second point, though, which is uh, the risk, though, OG, that you're going to have too much money in stocks. He talks about sequence of returns. If you're in the stock market and you start having to pull the money out, he talks about how that creates this uh, this doom sequence, yeah, and that's a very real thing. It doesn't happen as frequently as people think. He used the example of 2008, or you know, you might even have used February of 2020, although that was a pretty short run. But you can use 2008, you can use 2000, but there's wide swaths of time where people retired between those two times, you know, and it wasn't as terrible. But the way around that is very simple also. Number one, you have to have enough emergency money, enough cash on hand to make sure that if something goes wrong along the way, you can kind of revert from back from drawing from the portfolio. The problem isn't the returns. The problem is withdrawing money from your portfolio while the returns suck. Right? So if you say, well, I got a million dollars. I'm planning on taking out $40,000 a year. That's my 4%. Everybody said, that's cool. That's what I'm going to do. And the market goes down 20%. And now you have 800,000 and you still take out your 40. That's the risk. The risk isn't that it went down to 800. It's that you still took out 40. So how do you account for that? You account for that by saying, I need to have an emergency bucket that allows for that eventuality. The reality is, is that from a sequence of return standpoint, you're only in trouble in the very, very, very beginning. The far more likely event is that the market does well and you're far too conservative. Because think of it the other way. Think about investing in or retiring January of 2010 instead you're just on the heels of the market going down, you know, 50%. So you're probably concerned about it. And so maybe your response is to be extra conservative. So maybe you've got a 50-50 portfolio or a 40-60 portfolio. Well, what happened over the next 10, 11 years in your first 10 years of retirement? The market went straight up. It doubled twice, give or take. And you're sitting there with only 30 or 40 or 50% of your money in stocks because you're too concerned about that. On the other side, if you would have been invested ad adequately, if you would have had 
the money invested in stocks like you're supposed to, your portfolio went from a million to three million. If you're still drawing that $40,000 a year, now you're so far out of the surf zone. You're so far ahead on the margin of safety is what we would call that, that it doesn't matter what the market does anymore. So it's a little bit of a bet on both sides of that equation. Can I stay aggressive enough to get through that initial surge, but also have some protection in case it does go that way? The way that we do it is we just have two years worth of distributions in cash. And then so that allows you to be almost 92% stock and 8% cash, right? And you say, well, when do I take the cash out? And there's a whole other story that goes with that. But, but my point is, is that it isn't the sequence of returns risk. It's the fact that I'm going to withdraw the money and have those negative returns. So if you're willing to make changes along the way, we talk about this with clients as well, rational people aren't going to go from a million dollars in their portfolio to 42 million you know, you run those calculators and it says, oh, you're going to die with 42 million. It's like, really? Nowhere along the way do you say, I'm going to change my lifestyle. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna buy a vacation house. I'm going to take the, I'm going to build a hospital for kids. Like nowhere in there, you're just going to like, keep drawing my $40,000 out. That's it. Oh, look, I got 40 million. Huh? No, along the way, a rational person is going to make some other changes or other choices along the way. The same thing happens the other way. You start with a million and all of a sudden you get some negative surprises. A rational person is going to say, I got to figure out a way to drop this down to 30,000 instead of 40. In just a second, OG and I will have our takeaway from today's headlines. Uh, but first, at Navy Federal Credit Union, they don't just serve the Navy. They also serve the Army, the Marine Corps, the Air Force, the Coast Guard, and even the Space Force. No matter where you are in your military career, they offer the products and resources to help you navigate your finances like the Navy Federal More Rewards American Express card that offers three times more points at supermarkets, food delivery and gas, plus one point on everything else. That means Grubhub, DoorDash, or whatever your favorite food delivery service is. If you want to pay the premium, put it on credit. Probably not a not a great idea, OG. Pay your credit card off in full every month, and you can enjoy special perks and points you can redeem for cash, travel, gift cards, and more. Plus, earn bonus points. Learn more about how you can get 25,000 points, $250 value when you open a Navy Federal More Rewards American Express card today. Visit NavyFederal.org for more details and to apply. Insured by NCUA, American Express is a registered service mark of American Express used by Navy Federal under license. It's fun what you can do when you pay your credit cards off every month, OG. Cheryl and I using reward points to head to go visit my daughter. Hopefully, things keep getting better at the end of October. Just booked a just booked a Delta One ticket. Ooh, la la. First class ticket to Japan. First class or no class, baby. And then we're sitting like on the wing on the way back because we're paying for it ourselves. That's a that's a whole different thing. I think our takeaways uh, here. Well, I think the biggest takeaway is. Okay, real talk, you guys. Making 100k a year is not that hard. All you have to do is make 274 dollars a day. How can you do that? So what I did was I learned how to trade the stock market. I learned how to trade the forex market. I learned how to trade the crypto market. That's all you got to do. How to trade binary options. That's all you got to do. I trade binary know. options, forex marketing. I think that's our takeaway, or maybe not. I do like the takeaway of bite-sized goals. I think that's a good takeaway. And then second takeaway is uh, fees, important or not important. <laughs> depending on whether you want to hand money to Kathy Wood or the buzz index or on the other side, if you want to invest in the Morningstar style box, I don't know what I do know is saving some money. Call me crazy. 
might be might be important. Still have to invest for retirement. And then our last takeaway, I think it's the same one, isn't it? Still have to invest for retirement. Keep the return expectations low. Count on yourself more. Got to do a better job. Well, our next guest is incredibly resilient. If you're somebody who's looking for a shock to the system on Monday to get you motivated, Harma Hartuni is that guy. He's a self-made entrepreneur and a developer, owns a real estate company employing hundreds of real estate and commercial real estate agents in uh, Southern California. By the way, he runs the number one ranked real estate business in his region. They've exceeded over $1 billion in sales volume back in 2019. That's not all that he's done. And we're going to ask him some questions about real estate. But in a new book, he doesn't talk much at all, OG, about real estate. He talks about growing up and about a lot of the problems that he faced growing up and some of the inspiration that he got for himself and some of the lessons that he learned. And man, did he have some tough stuff happen. And by the way, there will be no uh, swearing in this interview, I'm sure, knowing a little bit about Harma. But the stories I'm going to ask him to tell are going to be painful and are going to be very uh, personal and probably more of an adult nature. So if you've got uh, kids in the car, might be time to listen to this part of the show a little later, but it'll be well worth a listen because I know some of these stories and I can't wait to hear him tell them to you and I. Let's say hi to Harma Hartuni. And coming down the stairs to mom's basement, it's our friend Harma Hartuni. How are you, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me. This well, is fun. Well, thank you for doing this. And we'll pull back the curtain a little bit. First time since we've had a podcast, you and I recorded this brilliant, fun interview and my file was corrupt. So we get to pretend like this is the first time doing this, Harma. Yes, I, I had so much fun. So we need practice maybe sometimes. We did. Yeah. Yeah. That was okay. We're going to do it even better now. Right. You are one of the top uh, real estate people, not only in Southern California, but also one of the top people in the country. You know how hard it is to be in real estate. There's so much competition. You also know just how hard sales is. I want to ask you first, before we dive into your personal story and some of the resilience that you've learned through your experiences and through your life. How do you set yourself apart in real estate or even just in sales so that you get the client when somebody else doesn't? It's a very actually on time question. I had a interesting talk this morning with one of my clients. He didn't listen for everything I said we should do. Time has passed. We've been in trouble with his move and he refused to do what we said. It's been just very challenging for him. And I always coach people and I talk about it and we were on the phone and he wanted to understand what to do next. And I told him, I said, Mr. Seller, I coach a lot of people. I will never claim I know how to do marketing and tell my business, my life partner about marketing. That's all he does in movies. So I will never cross the line. I know lending and I will never cross the line in lending, although maybe I know more than a lot of loan officers, but I know real estate just enough that I've sold enough to give you two advice that I tell every agent out there. 
One was always tell them the truth. Tell the client the truth upfront, although sometimes they don't want to hear it. And number two is remember in buying in real estate, you don't sell homes, you don't buy homes. The buyer buys the home and seller sells the home. You are the service provider. They make the decision. So don't make decisions. So it was very good because it was funny. He realized, he says, okay, are you saying that I didn't listen to you and I made all the wrong decisions? I said, absolutely. And again, you have the right to make the next decisions. But what I will say to anyone in real estate or in sales that if you want to build a business that is worth having and have a foundation that grows over and over, don't think short term, tell them the truth, even though they might not want to hear that because they don't have to love you, but they got to respect you. And going to next thing, don't get emotional. If they are making the wrong decisions, your job is to tell them. And if the transition or the process becomes a little bit difficult, remember that's their decision they made. And your job is to to help them get to the finish line. So it's a business. The moment emotion gets involved, you lose money, you lose uh, sight. And um, definitely I was not born as a salesperson. I naturally felt... I should leave dental school and do real estate because I thought dental school would be my path. And next thing I know, I fell in love with the process of connecting with people and getting them to the the finish line, because that's the only way you get paid. But it is exciting. And one of the words that you said that I really want to draw attention to Harma is coach. Like I asked you about sales, you responded with coach. You're not mm-hmm. selling people. You're bluntly telling them what they need to do to get their property ready to be sellable. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't sign the deed when the property is going to be transferred. I don't sign loan docs. I don't put deposit in. So as a matter of fact, I jokingly say to everyone, you are no one when it comes to buying and selling real estate. You are a facilitator. Your job is to coach them, guide them. And you better know the contract. You better know the market. You better know statistics. You have to know where we're going, what to expect. Ultimately, they make the decisions. Now, a lot of clients will listen. Some clients won't because they know it all. But again, it's my job to tell them the truth. And that is that is why I think it's very important. In, in If you want to do this business in real estate, I always say, pick up the phone, don't avoid them resolve the issue and tell them the truth. And then things will just go forward or it will be canceled because if it's supposed to cancel, it's going to cancel regardless. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that because as you know, everybody thinks there's a shortcut, right? Everybody thinks there's this easy way. And what you're saying is there's not, there totally isn't do what's in your client's best interest and good things happen. Absolutely. I just um, had that interview with someone that said that I took two years off. I did eat, pray, love, and I'm just finding myself. And, you know, I want to be like you. And how long did it take you to be like you? I said, I don't know. I'm turning 40. (laughs) He goes like, no, like, he said, no, like your business. I said, I don't know. I just, since I was 21, jumped in real estate. And he goes like, when did you feel the success? I said, I still don't. I enjoyed the process. And I said, if you're talking about me with my signs, I said, you know, as a real estate agent, you're unemployed every morning. You literally have no jobs. You get up every morning, you find a buyer and a seller who wants to work with you. And end of the day, if no one said, I want to work with you, you have no job. 
And the next morning, if someone said yesterday, I want to work with you, the next morning, you still don't have anyone. You just have to do it again. So if you think I'm going to be at one point, don't have to apply for a job every day, you won't survive in real estate. I think that's a wonderful jumping off point for the stories that are in your book. My understanding is, Harma, that your your first experience of a real estate deal was when you were four, I think. Your family was fleeing Tehran because it was in the middle of the Iran-Iraqi war, and you fled Tehran, and you saw your dad do a business deal. Is that is that correct? Yes, I was um, 14. Um, okay. 14. Yes. And I, it was back outside the countryside and there were Iraq and Iran wars was happening. And we were taking basically out of the, we would leave so we can be safe. And it was a family that they owned big, beautiful house with a villa, with a yard. And they will, you know, shelter a lot of other Armenian families. And that's where I was outside. And I saw my dad speaking to this man who was local from a village. And he was just passing the mountains with a donkey. And next thing I heard the conversation, they're negotiating on land. And he took the stick and walked I was walking with a donkey. I was excited. It was an animal there. And next thing I know, he was just putting the sticks in the ground, hammering it down and putting a rope around it and straight making a rectangular box and says, this is the land I want to own. And he bought that. And, and then next thing I know, he, uh, he was very clever. He bought the land that basically had the widest length. So he managed to have the create an alley and a street so he can control. So he became the biggest, largest landowner, although everyone else bought and they built very small and they built a beautiful villa. We never ended up owning very nice homes on the property, but we we had the largest land. Yeah. You state that that is a big lesson you had not to overdevelop, right? Don't be the king of your street with the house on the property. Absolutely. Yep. And I also found it funny that at the time you were excited about riding a damn donkey and your dad's like, no, 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 forget the donkey. Watch this. He was really making me focus on what he was doing. Oh, you know, I have kids now and I just think like I, I'm definitely going to do the same thing because sometimes you don't know they're, although they're not paying attention and I was excited on something else. He taught me something that start being embedded in my brain as I grow up and I start acting the same way, which has helped me develop and build my wealth. And hearing that people listening to you and I talk might think that you and your dad had this phenomenal relationship. That was not the case at all. In fact, I read uh, uh, the story we just talked about is the introduction to your book. I go into chapter one and immediately you're talking about this time. School is over and uh, they pick up your little brother and you from school and you say that uh, this is a trip where you knew you shouldn't ask anything because it just seemed like it was a very solemn thing. Tell me about where you went and what happened. So they took me from school and I was seven and my brother was one. And they took us to a place that it's supposed to be a, like a clinic or a hospital, doctor's office. It didn't quite look like that. They took my brother in first and my mom and I sat in the waiting room and I could hear my brother crying. You said it was kind of a dirty place. Yeah, it was not like the way clinics or doctor's yeah. office is pretty run down and 
scary. I will say now uh, I knowing now I would not even want to get my flu shot there or, <laughs> or, or, or have my temperature taken like at all. But anyway, we, they took my brother out and um, cried and I didn't know what was happening. And they brought my brother out crying. My mom was holding him and then they took me in and I still didn't know what's going on. At one point they had to tie my hand to the bed be, and um, they basically circumcised me when I was seven. And I wish that was the painful part. The painful part was that, you know, when you have stitches on and you're seven and your dad decides that, that he's qualified enough and he's going to take the bandages and the stitches off himself in a bathtub. And that was the most traumatizing part that I went through, but Hey, you know, I sat there feeling all these feelings while you're talking about having your hands strapped down and your legs strapped down and they're circumcising you at the age of seven, by the way, it seems like that was late. It seems very, very late. Absolutely late. And I would not want to do that to anyone. I don't want anyone to ever go through it at this age. Uh, but also I think, I don't think it's a circumcision. It's the process. It was, I didn't have my mom next to me. I didn't have anyone to say, you'll be okay. And then after that, how the bandage got pulled in just, it just, I, I hope and even my enemy, I, that I don't have any, but, but I'm, I hope won't go through it. So. While he's taking the stitches off, you said there's no, there doesn't seem to be any pride. There doesn't seem to be any anger. It just, it's what a dad does. And there's blood in the, in the bathtub and he leaves and your mom came in with Vaseline. Yeah. He was the boss. He made the decision. He did his part. And then my mom had to come, which is ironically is the best thing because if he'd stayed and he did the rest, it would have been more miserable. So it was, my mom came and comforted us and it took weeks of healing because I remember we had to put medicine on it and my mom got all that and we're fine. I read lots of books. I read lots and I interview lots of people. I've never read a, a book where with a story like that where it begins with a story like that. Why do you begin there? A lot has happened to me. That was a moment. I, I block things. I kind of forget things. I intentionally, I just don't want to remember. When I sat down to rewrite some of the lessons of my life, that was one of them that was just right there. And Although I can explain how my family met and how I was born, I felt if I share in how traumatic story can be a lesson, can set the tone for the book that don't read it because it's all happy ending. Read it because every problem and every challenge has built me something to become someone better. That chapter of... It wasn't a chapter, but it was an incident that I just remembered the most. You, you write, in fact, that it's an experience you look back on frequently when you're faced with a tough decision or have to summon the strength for something. As a child, you have no choice or power in any of your circumstances, and yet it still falls on you to make peace with what happens to you and move on. You coach people all the time, Harma. You see so many people still dealing with these past demons, and it sounds like you're saying you got to put those away. It's, you know, it's very scary to let go of what you know. As a matter of fact, it's proven that 
people can get addicted to so many things in life, you know, from drugs to alcohol to so many things. But the number one thing that is proven by many universities are they're addicted to the trauma that happened to them and they just cannot let it go. So our body has different cells. Like if you go five years ago tonight, we don't have the same cell in our body. We change all of our cells in two years, goes out of our body and we get a new one. But yet we cannot take a trauma that has happened to us and let it go. We memorize it and then we get addicted to it. And then we keep repeating and repeating and repeating. I am grateful for every way. I don't know. I can't say it's one thing from therapy to people around me, to my my own strength, to my family around me, that I am able to move on from what has happened. Because if you stay to where what happened and just keep reading the same thing over and over, I mean, there's no way you can write a new chapter. Your relationship with your dad, though, wasn't all horrible. You learned some great business lessons from him. He started okay. off just he and your mother working together. And it's, it seems reading the book that he uh, he built his way up, Harma, from doing okay to doing better to all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, over time, running an organization, owning a factory. Tell me about your dad's journey and how he was a successful business person. He was very strategic. He thought ahead. He looked at what the market needs and what he needs to develop. So when the time came that he even tried to import and export to from Iran to Armenia, Armenia was just part of the Soviet Union and they just got separated. They didn't have food or, or actually they didn't have heaters and they were so cold there. So he took a bunch of heaters that they were on gasoline and he took it there and then he realized the country was getting better. He brought, he took pasta because they were needed food to eat and Iran was making cheap pasta. And then when the country was getting better, they took tile because it was being developed. So he always looked ahead. What is the market like? Not what he likes to do. Like what's my passion today It was more about. So I learned a lot from him to think ahead, strategize, find a source, don't ever buy the, the same person first time and negotiate it down. I learned from his running a factory. I learned how always being the first one there makes the sets the tone for everyone in your organization. If you leave, no one works as hard as you. Look into people's eyes so you know if they're lying or they're telling you the truth a lot. And I also learned from him the things not to do. I remember, yeah. by the way, not to cut you off, but I remember the story and I have to smile because you're taking public transportation to work or you're taking a taxi, which you explain is not like a taxi in the United States where it takes you to the door. A bunch of people get in a car. They kind of go in the general direction. <laughs> you get out yeah. of some corner, get into the next taxi. So I kind of laughed about that, about, wow, how different that is. But, but you would get there and your dad often, Harma, is there waiting for you to make sure that you're there learning these lessons, learning to be the first person there. He was sitting in his car far away watching me and I was like supposed to open the door and then all the employees will have to get a card in and I had to write the time they walked in and I wrote it on it and he will just look until the last person walked in, then he will park his car and come in. Just wanted to make sure that I don't know if it was just like for him to set the tone for everyone else that I am the son or set for me to learn that 
get up and do that. And you can't, you own the company, so you got to do this. And you got, and honestly, with my current organization, that's just an, this, I don't even know if I expanded on that, but look at, I just today learn one of my people that I set the tone and he realized that he's not a right match. And he emailed me, says, I don't know if I can be the right fit for you. And I called him and I said, can you just tell me if I did something or my staff? And I, this is an element that I learned then, because if you're involved with your staff, checking them in, checking them out and good morning and on, it allows you to have that relationship to build it or remove the person who's not a match. And he, I, I mean, credit goes to him. It's funny though, your dad though, never was much of a relationship builder. And some of these mm -hmm. lessons you learn positively from him and others you learn negatively from him, because it seems to me, I mean, you've talked relationship this entire last 20 minutes. Yep. It's, I learned a lot from him not to do, because I noticed every time he had a successful business of one part, the person who was involved with him didn't move to the next thing or they didn't last with him. If everyone says the same thing about you and is more than three people comes to 10, you don't need a verification. Is something true about it? You know, so it can't be everyone around my dad were bad. And my dad was just amazing. It can't be something about my dad. So I learned from him. I told my mom when I was young, I said, listen, if I just do the opposite of that, but be smart and care about the business, maybe I'll be wealthy and I have people to follow me. I want to ask about taking that to the United States. I'm skipping a ton of stories here, by the way, guys, I'm skipping a ton because I want to talk about you, you in real estate. Uh, well, actually, even before real estate, I want to ask about the cover of your book because the, the cover of your book shows you with crutches. There was mm -hmm. a big accident that really changed your life, which mm -hmm. is why it's on the cover. Tell us about the accident and what that meant to your life trajectory. So imagine a 18 year old, kid that has a gymnastic. I was dancing. I was in a university. I was popular, had friends and I get in a car. I'm on a small road. I hit a bus. My car gets total head to head. I come out, nothing happens to me. And another car hit me and my both legs broke. I was not supposed to walk. I did everything possible. I took every medication anyone suggested. And, and I moved to the US 13, 14 months after the accident, 15 months after the accident. And I never went back. If you read the book, you will see that I was not even, I was born in the US, but I was raised in Iran and coming to the US was never an option. And I negotiated that right few minutes before my surgery. And my dad allowed me to come for a visit, but I do, if the car accident didn't happen, I wouldn't have a life I have today. 100%, I would not have it. And allowed me to be born to someone new. And I just always say that people, humans have two lives, the one they're born to and the one they realize they need to live in. And I think that car accident helped me realize, okay, this is your life. Live your life as if tomorrow is your last day. Think ahead, but don't make your the day of that you wake up to miserable and enjoy it. It's such a powerful statement and really spiritual. You had a premonition even before the accident, though. Like there was literally, you say there was literally somebody sitting in the car with you not that long before the accident. Yes. And when I was writing the book, I was like, if I said this, people will think I'm crazy. But, you know, 
it's happened. So I'm just going to write it and some people will believe it. It was an elderly with the beard wearing all white sat next to me in the car and he put his hand on me and my hand was cold. And he said, you're just going to die now. And I was like, what? And I pulled over and I looked for my seatbelt because back home in Iran, especially 22 years ago, you didn't wear seatbelt. I didn't even know the car had seatbelt. So I had to look for it and adjust it and I put it on. And I think the seatbelt saved me on the first accident because the car, the wheel of the, the steering wheel and the chair were attached to each other. Thank God I was skinny and I not, didn't crack anything, but you know, and so I had to pull the chair down and flip back and the same angel, the same energy that's been watching me throughout a lot has have happened as after even in my business, when I do meditate, when I go deep, I do see this person. It's just always there. It just, there's a, there, this person is there. But you were freaked out. I mean, and rightly so that first time you were completely just what the hell's going on? I'm not a religious person, although I'm Orthodox Christian and we didn't go to church every day, but I'm not like, I'm not into it as much, like in a sense of like, but I, I do believe doing the right thing and follow your energy and karma, but to have a person sit next to you and watches in your eyes and just protects you. Um, no, I, I'm so lucky to have him. Uh, selling real estate. You were selling real estate. You're fairly new at it. You're successful fairly quickly. You're making uh, about uh, three quarters of a million dollars, supposedly. And yet you say at that time you were broke. And I'm reading that. Well, I'm reading that two ways. Number one, a guy that knows the inside of real estate knows that that 700 something number is really not 700 something in your pocket. But also I'm wondering, how are you broke at that time? Multiple reasons. One, I overspent in my own personal life, trying to keep up. Two, I was supporting family and I will just had to. So it wasn't about how much I'm going to support this, but how much do I have to make to support? And number three, I had no idea how much of that has to be paid to IRS. So I was running behind every year. I was running behind. I did not have a good team as far as from good CPA, good office manager, good assistant. And also I was not surrounded with intelligent business owners. I was surrounded with, I was one of the best. Can you imagine how bad the rest was? You know? So I was like, so I was like, okay, well I'm the best. So it's good. And no one, I, once I, it's just your environment matters, who you surround yourself matters. That's where I realized that it is time to change and get my CPA that and, and, and learn. And that's where I became a CEO of a Tim uh, Keller Williams in, in a different branch. And I took a job for a much a small salary. And I said, I just want to learn how to run a business. I really don't know. I didn't even understand on an Excel sheet, you can have line items and then drop multiples on the same line. And because insurance can be multiple things, not just health insurance. Can I, can I say something here too? Cause I don't know if you're going to include this and I just want to make sure that we get it. You were so adamant about learning to run a business. I think if I remember the number, right, you wrote the people hiring you a check for $80,000 and said, if I'm not worth $80,000 cash this check and I'll pay you, I'll pay you to take this job. 
they were paying twice as much of my salary to someone else and they were not making money. I said, so if you pay me half and I'll give you the money and if I don't perform, you didn't lose any money. Isn't that amazing? I re got rejected multiple times by many people until one, the group of owners, they, they took the risk on me. And again, it takes only one person to take the risk on you. And the company came, company had a, a lot of debt and I paid it back out of the book. So we paid it back and cleaned up the book in a, in a year and a half or two years. Wow. And then the third year we became the most profitable office in the region, in our central Southern region. Wow. And, and there are so many lessons in, as you know, cause it's our second time doing this. And we talked about some different stuff that we did the first time. Exactly. I, I could talk about this all day, but the book is getting back up a story of resilience, self-acceptance and success. You can get this uh, Amazon anywhere. Right. On Amazon. And you can also order it on harmahartuni.com on the website. And awesome. I'm grateful. And we will link to harmahartuni.com on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Man, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for doing it again. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Hey, Harma, can I talk to you for a second? What can I help you with, dog? So I I'm wondering, we're getting all this pressure from the Texarkana Chamber of Commerce to put like more banjo in the show. And I'm thinking, LA. I mean, LA, that, that'd be a great place to podcast. Bright lights and the stars. I mean, I'd fit right in. What do you think it would cost to move us and the, the whole basement to Hollywood? I think what you're talking about, maybe 750 would do the trick. Wow. 750. That's great. Hey, I got to go. Call me when you're ready. Okay. S Steve, start the music, buddy. Hey, stackers. I'm your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And that's some good news for you. Just coming in, hot headline. Looks like it's a no-brainer for us to move this little show to Hollywood, California. Harma Hartuni just shared that for a whopping 750 bucks a month, we are gold, baby, gold. Couldn't you imagine me in LA, the beach, hitting the clubs with the celebs, the paparazzi, all over me in a good way. I mean, I could finally call Dwayne Johnson about getting my acting career rolling. All right, settle, settle down, Doug. Stay calm. Okay, time to script out my argument for Joe's mom so I don't blow it. But before I do, let's get to today's trivia. Since we're talking about real estate, you might know that if you put less than 20% down on your house, you're probably required to pay something called PMI. So the question is, what does PMI stand for? And how much does it usually cost you? I'll be back faster than you can refinance your next loan. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. 
Insure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equalizing lender. Hey, trivia fans. It's your soon-to-be resident of Los Angeles, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And I got my old marketing hat on. I was just thinking, with all the publicity of being in L.A., this podcast might even get up to double-digit listeners. Mark Marin's there, and he's in a garage. We're sure to fit in with a basement. He interviewed a president. Uh, imagine what we could get on the podcast. I mean, maybe that, that guy who played Tim Allen's neighbor, Wilson. That dude be gold. Well, before I go help Joe's mom list the house, let's get back to today's trivia. The question was, what does PMI stand for? And how much does it usually cost you? Here we go. Private mortgage insurance, also called PMI, is a type of mortgage insurance you might be required to pay if you have a conventional mortgage loan. Like other kinds of mortgage insurance, PMI protects the lender, not you, if you stop making payments on your loan. PMI is usually required when you have a conventional loan and make a down payment of less than 20% of the home's purchase price. While the amount you pay ranges, it's typically between 0.58% to 1.86% of the original loan amount per year. While that's quite a bit of money, remember that PMI typically goes away when you have 20% equity in your home, but you may need to pay for an additional appraisal to prove it. Think you can get rid of the PMI on your mortgage? Go call your lender. I'm calling mine right now to check out rates for a new house in Hollywood. I really thought PMI stood for probably more information. Like, you know, like TMI, but PMI. Anyway, I learn something every day on my own trivia. Good news for you and I. I think we're probably not going to have to start packing boxes anytime soon, OG. I don't think so. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Big thanks to Harma. And two things I want to point to in his interview. The first one is, I think he is living proof that it isn't what happens to you, OG. It's how you get back up, right? We all have things happen to us. I think Harma's probably more happened to him than you and I have had happen to us. Right. But it really is how you... I don't know. Is it about being an optimist? Is it about the future's brighter than the past? What is it? 
Well, I think it's about a choice, right? It's just how you interpret what's going on and how that, how you want to view that moving forward. You know, you can look at all the negative stuff as woe is me. And this is the reason for all the stuff that's going on. Or you can look at it as fuel or you can look at it as, yeah, that happened, but I'm going to choose a different path. It's certainly what he did kept his eye focused on the prize. And the second thing that kind of surprised me was when he said he's not that interested in real estate, he's interested in making people happy. And I think that finding your motivation, no matter what it is that you do, I think is such an important of having the right career. Yeah. I also think it doesn't matter what career it is, knowing those, what do they call them? The soft skills. I don't think the soft skills are really soft. I think those communication skills that we all need to get a job done. I mean, how many people have known somebody who clearly is the smartest person in the room, but drives, (coughs) (laughs) yeah, case in point here, but they drive you bananas because they make sure that everybody knows that they're the smartest person in the room. Hey, I can't, you know, haters going to hate, bro. Haters going to (laughs) hate. It's, it's horrible. Big thanks again to Harma for uh, sharing some uh, pretty raw tales uh, from growing up. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you, no, not them, you, what you value first. Uh, I'm going to go with um, evaluating all my BlackRock funds and finding the uh, lowest possible expense ratio to invest in. (laughs) Without care for asset class or asset class doesn't matter. It's overrated. It's all fees, man. It's all fees. fees. Yes. It's actually your money and your time, but Hey, if you're not spending time filling out life insurance apps or uh, looking at asset classes, you got plenty of time to do other things. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven life. Now to get a free quote, their application simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision and affordable prices. Today, we're going to throw out that lifeline to Margaret. Margaret writes, hello, love your show. And I think it's great that you'll dispel some of these bad TikTok videos, giving all this quote, easy money advice. I wish I could get them off my feed, but I also love to watch how bad some of them are. We're with you, Margaret. This below, I cannot even begin to understand what he's talking about and had to dig through his YouTube channel to see these talk about a version of cash value life insurance. Could you explain this? What are cash value life insurance? First of all, thanks for the question, Margaret. And uh, to kind of cue everybody in, this is one of uh, the TikTok videos that Margaret is referring to. So you don't believe you make enough to produce wealth in your life. Let's break it down. As an example, as you said, you make 40,000 a year and your wife makes 20. That is 60,000 total. What am I going to suggest? Figure a way to live on 50,000. 50,000 becomes your living expense. Now you have $10,000 a year to put into a secure compound interest account. In as little as 25 years, you can be a millionaire, but more importantly, have a tax-free retirement income of up to $100,000 a year for the rest of your life. Guys, it really doesn't matter how much you make. Everything determines on how much you keep and how much you can get into a secure compound interest account. I'm Curtis Ray. Always be compounding. All right. Uh, OG sounds good. I like a couple things he's talking about. It isn't how much you make. It's how much you keep. That is definitely good advice. He avoids talking about life insurance while still talking about life insurance when he calls it a secure interest account. And of course you can not only have a secure interest account, but you can also have a hundred thousand dollars a year, 25 years from now. Sounds, sounds fantastic. Doesn't it? Uh, 
Sounds great. Up till the part where uh, he says $10,000 a year for 25 years is going to turn into 100K a year of income. I'm assuming he's talking about Roth IRAs, right? Tax-free income, isn't that what he said? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, it's not what he's talking about. He's talking about cash value life insurance. Mm. Yeah. Great, 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 great. Uh, does he later in like a uh, update or part two of this mention that um, his commission check is one year of your savings? Right. Is it 10,000 bucks? Yeah. He doesn't go into that a little bit later. I mean, here's the thing. Life insurance is designed to be for protection planning. A long time ago, I learned this phrase, which I thought was really good. The guy that was telling me it was basically selling the idea of cash value life insurance, but I think it actually proves his point the other way, that all insurance is term insurance and all term insurance is one-year term. And you go, well, no, I got a 20-year term policy. I go, yeah, I know. But it's actually a one-year term policy 20 times and they just average the payment out to make it flat for you for 20 years. Yeah. Right? That's how they figured it out. Term insurance is very easy to understand. You pay a premium. You either die or don't. <laughs> if you die, somebody gets a check. If you don't, you know, it expires at a certain time and then it's over. That's that. Well, when you start adding an investment strategy to your insurance, whether it's a secure interest compound account, which is code for bull crapola, or, you know, a more variable type rate or, or an indexed rate or something like that, you're just adding complexity and you're adding cost. It doesn't make them bad. It just makes them probably not useful for most, 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 most people. You know, there's time and a place for permanent insurance, which is what that is. And I think that's kind of where you have to start with this. And I know that's your favorite point to start on this is, is to look at it from the perspective of, well, what are you trying to do? You know, you're trying to have life insurance or are you trying to save money for retirement? And if you're kind of down the path of, I'm trying to have life insurance, okay, great. Uh, how much do you need? I need a million dollars. Okay, great. How long do you need it for? Oh, I need it until my kids graduate college. Great. So a limited term. Perfect guess what kind of insurance you should have? Term. It's pretty simple. You know, if you are going down the path of investments, you go, well, I'm, what are you trying to do? Buy insurance or build an investment portfolio? Investment portfolio. Great. Have you maxed out your workplace plan? No. Okay, do that. Have you maxed out your workplace plan? Yes. Have you maxed out your retirement plans outside of your <laughs> workplace? No. Okay, do that. You know what I mean? Like you start kind of think about this like a flow chart. The part where, when do I get to buy investment insurance is so far at the bottom for most people that, you know, most people aren't going to get there. It's the same thing on the insurance side of things. If you go down the insurance path and say, well, I need insurance, when do I get permanent insurance? Well, if you have a permanent need, that's when you have permanent insurance. And the vast majority of people don't have that. You know, this is really tough. I, I Maybe we should start a TikTok channel. You think we should do TikTok? Like just to, or would our stuff be so boring? Uh, buy diversified uh, ETFs and mutual funds and uh, don't ever change them. Like we'd get like one like, boo, crypto for the win. Where's my insurance? Yeah. <laughs> like we wouldn't have any followers. <laughs> like CNBC, it would be like Jim Cramer going, yeah, all this stock picking stuff is bull crap. Uh, let's, just, <laughs> let's just buy ETFs and mutual funds. And, you know, you guys should just hold them for the next 40 years. Like whatever you can put in, put in. Uh, whenever you want to buy it, whenever you got cash, you should put it in. Just and uh, just use the cricket sound all the time. Yeah. Whoops, that's not the cricket sound. Is this one? Nope, that's not the cricket sound. Nope. I, don't, I think I must have gotten rid of the cricket sound on mine. There you go. Bottom left. 
Oh, my bottom left has changed. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I got a whole different different thing going on there. Uh, but you know what frustrates me most about this is that you and I do know this, though. You talk about for 99.9% of the people, what he's talking about, not optimal, not what you should do. It's that 0.1% of people that responsible advisors that know what the hell they're doing know that the strategy stuff that he's talking about can work very well for them, OG. The issue is these are high-income people. High-income people don't get there because they're not smart. They're wicked smart. They watch all this stuff, and they see garbage like this, and those are the people who need this strategy the most. Not the person making fifty grand a year. The person making $50,000 a year is making the biggest mistake handing someone like this their money making a horrible mistake doing that but somebody making eight hundred thousand dollars a year and and needs great places to put it we've had david mcknight on talking about uh getting to the zero tax bracket ed slot will talk about this we didn't talk to him about it recently when we had him on but ed slot will tell you that this stuff works like responsible people will tell you that it works for that 0.01. Then you meet that 0.01 and they go, oh no, that's garbage because everybody in that place is slimy and I want nothing to do with it. And as a good advisor, you go, oh, no, 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 no. See, that's, they're talking to $50,000 people. You need this. And the person goes, dude, I wasn't born yesterday. Not going to do it. So people that need it, don't don't do it because of idiots like this. Yeah, I, I, I think it's. I think the greater sin is the other side of that coin, though. The other side of the coin is the fifty thousand people who do it. Yes, yeah, that is. <laughs> you know, absolutely. It's, it's not the eight hundred thousand person that misses out on the cool tax shelter idea. It's the guy with fifty k that goes, you know, in twenty two years from now, shows up in my office and goes, "I've been putting ten grand a year into this insurance thing. Apparently, I'm going to get like a hundred grand a year out of it or something." I don't know. That's what the guy said, and I go, "Uh, no." So you're you've been doing ten thousand a year. That is accurate. That is now worth uh, thirty-one thousand. That's the cash value. That would produce an income of somewhere in the neighborhood of about one hundred and twenty dollars a year. So we're just off by a factor of a hundred. But um, uh, but good news, um, uh, you're fifty-one. So as long as you work till seventy, and also I'm going to need you to save thirty thousand a year, not ten. And uh, crap, make some lemonade. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's. That that's that's the problem with with uh, with this sort of stuff. I mean, I don't know. We've said many times on the show that there are not bad products; it's just bad implementation of products. Some people call in and they'll ask about annuities, or they'll ask about whole life insurance, or they'll ask about actively traded mutual fund. You know, whatever that you just hear a blanket statement like, "Oh, that sucks. I shouldn't have that." It's not that it sucks; it's just probably not applicable to most people. You know, the the reason that the stuff is designed isn't designed for the guy with 50 grand a year. But when you start adding incentives in there in terms of very, very, very large commissions, and I'm not exaggerating when I said that the commission on a $10,000 insurance premium is probably 10,000, it might not be 10, but it's five or seven. You don't have to do too many of those. You know, we're talking to the TikTok, TikTok lady about $270 a day. How many days do you got to work if you make 10 grand an insurance sale? 10. You know, that's, that's not a lot if you uh, schnooker a whole bunch of people. So that's the allure is if you're a sales guy and, 
and uh, you're making 10 grand a year or 10 grand a contract doing it, I mean, let's get to it. But the reality is that for the most most of Americans, most people, uh, this is a terrible idea. Thanks for the question, Margaret, and uh, glad you brought that to our attention. If you got a question for us, head to stackyourbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And if you call in, Margaret had called in with that, we'd send her some swag, uh, but we're still happy to answer her question either way. Stackybedjamins.com forward slash voicemail, or uh, there's also a contact form there if you'd rather write. All right, that's going to do it for today. Big thanks to everybody involved with uh, today's episode. Just a um, great way to start the week, OG, especially since uh, Doug might be getting the aha that... Maybe we're not moving to Kelly. The tax, maybe, tax rates are too high there anyway. Maybe, maybe not. Speaking of tax rates and good financial plans, if you need better financial planning help in your corner, last year wasn't uh, the type of stellar year you want it to be. You want to have a better year next year by surrounding yourself with great people. OG and his team are taking clients. So uh, head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash OG to get to their calendar to find out how you could interface with their team to make better choices in 2021. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, you got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headlines. While you still have time, make sure to be thoughtful and realistic with your retirement planning. It's better to make changes when you have flexibility than wait until you don't. Second, take a lesson from Harma Hartuni. Bad moments in your life? We all have them. And most of us don't have moments as bad as Harma's. But as he said, it isn't what happens to you, but how you respond that matters. Use those moments to grow stronger, and you're sure to be able to push towards success in whatever you do. But the big lesson? Turns out, there's been a big misunderstanding. Everyone knows apparently except Harma, that when you talk houses, cars, or farm animals, you talk in terms of payments, not full purchase price. I thought Harma was in sales. Have you seen house prices in LA? I mean, not, not $750, but $750,000 for an apartment. Yeah. I think Texarkana is looking better and better every moment. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Are you looking to get inspired? If so, make sure to check out Harma's new book, Getting Back Up, a story of resilience, self-acceptance, and success wherever books are sold, or head to harmahartuni.com for more. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter, at SBenjamin'sCast, or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it appears I've fallen and I can't get up. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor.
we talked last week about movies and going back to uh, the movie theater, but also I thought maybe we'd talk about TV shows. Okay. There's been some good TV lately. What have you been watching? <sighs> Basketball. Yeah, great, great TV. Basketball. I'm waiting for the rest of Billions to come out. Season three of Succession is kind of okay. Or, you know, the, the show Succession. So season three of that I'm waiting for. I started watching this uh, on HBO called uh, The Flight Attendant. Yeah, with uh, Kelly um, Cucho. Yeah. Cucho? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. From uh, Big Bang Theory. I'm losing interest in it. I don't see where it goes. Like the the here's the long and the short of that. It's she's a flight attendant. She's very flirty and flighty and you know whatever. Meets up with a guy in a faraway country who is a passenger on over planes, and they have a fun night. And she wakes up and he's been murdered. Wow, he's dead. And she thinks she might have done it or what? She has no idea what happened because she partied too much. And so then she does all, you know, just a series of things, you know, and now she's trying to piece it together, but the FBI is into her, you know, her friend's an attorney telling her to shut up, but, you know, she's trying to piece it together and all this other crazy stuff is happening. My question is, obviously, it's going to get to the point where you're going to find out what really happened. What do you do after that on this show? (laughs) there is a. You think if you wake up with a dead guy next to you once, you're probably not going to party that hard twice. Probably. So have. I don't think that storyline can. I don't think you're going to rerun that one. Like, who? She was cleared to murder. Anyway, back in Bangkok, you know, here's another dead guy. You know, it's like I just don't. I, I don't see it going anywhere. So my my interest level's waning. Uh, there's a show on Netflix uh, from the UK called Marcella, which is about a a woman who used to be a detective, one of the best detectives on in her local, I, I don't know if it's precinct or what the, what the terminology is in London, but she wakes up at the beginning, OG in a bathtub and she's all bloody and her clothes are ripped. And uh, then they find, uh, they start finding dead people. Nice. And a lot of the stuff that they're finding around her makes her believe that maybe the murder she's investigating, she might've done it and you seriously don't know, but it's so well done. And they've actually done three seasons of this show. I've watched the first two. Uh, I haven't gone back to season three yet, but that's the opposite where I didn't lose interest. I got more interested as, as the season went on. And uh, I don't know why I haven't watched season three yet, but it's a little like Broadchurch. Did you watch Broadchurch? Yeah. Broadchurch you get much more interested and you get to the end of this show about a sleepy town on the coast, the beginning of the show, everybody seems like they're just these wonderful people. And by the end of both seasons, you think anybody in this damn place could be the murderer. <laughs> everybody in the entire town could have been, the, everybody did could it. have been the person that, that did it. And that's some good TV. I've been watching two uh, documentaries that I think that you'd like. One is you turn me on to last chance. You, uh, yeah, season one. I couldn't watch season two. It was too bad. I thought season two with the same team. I thought season two was really good with the same team. Yeah, I didn't like it. Uh, uh, I like the fact that the coach realized the cameras were there in season two and tried to create his own narrative, which you f- really find out by the end of the season um, is still false. He still is the guy that he... Yeah, 
Yeah, that's uh, always has like, oh, that's that's uh, you know, I started going to church. It's like, okay, sure, buddy. Yes, yeah, I'm stopping swearing. I'm not swearing at my players I anymore. Mean, I'm I'm a vociferous uh, user of salty language uh, when possible, but that dude makes me blush. He brings it, man. <laughs> he like, totally whoa. brings it. Now they have last chance you basketball. And I, yeah. I've watched the first two episodes of that, and it's really compelling. Can't wait to get into that. And But then I noticed just yesterday the new season of Formula One, Drive to Survive, which oh, the first two seasons of that were fantastic. Even if you're not a huge Formula One fan, just watching these uh, egomaniacs race against each other <laughs> and the huge amounts of money that the teams are competing for and all the pressure on the world stage – I mean, how many, how many sports are truly global? You think soccer is, is global, but it's, but not, you know, the still, even though in the U S it's, it's been going up by leaps and bounds every year, still not on the same stage as basketball, football, baseball, baseball's fading soccer's coming, but it still isn't there in the U S. So while it's close to global, I wouldn't put that on the same stage as formula one, you know? I mean, Formula One fans, there's every bit as big Formula One fans in the U.S. as there are in Europe or in Asia, Africa, uh, elsewhere. It truly is a global sport. So Drive to Survive is just, I don't know, really good TV. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric who is such a giving person, Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website. Resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.